This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. Once again, it's Josh speaking uh, and that's because Chris is once again too busy to be with us. Um, so send hate mail his way uh, at Christian Walsh on Twitter. But I'm once again joined by David Hughes. How are we? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. Don't um, don't direct any of that hate mail my way, please. No, you uh, seem to get a, seems to get good feedback based on last week. I think that's yeah, safe to say. yeah. It's um, you know I, I said to you didn't I? Well, like about analysing Anfield is the underbelly of the internet doesn't seem to listen to the show, do they? <laughs> Everybody's quite nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So thank you. That's that's <laughs> what we like to think anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for those that don't know. David covered last week for Christian. Uh, he's the guy in the company with the same role as me. We are both uh, technically labelled as scouting writers, so we provide football analysis, um, you know, for the mainstream football kind of thing. And last week we spoke about whatever was relevant at the time, and we spoke about uh, the upcoming match with Newcastle and the upcoming match with Napoli. Uh, the week went, could have been better, uh, we'll get we'll get to that, but I think just firstly two generic points that I, I, I'd like to address that slightly relate to Liverpool is um, you know firstly Man City, obviously they've suffered a defeat mm-hmm. and they're undergoing a little bit of an injury crisis. So I just think it's a, a bit of an appropriate time really to to have a chat about how reliant they are a on their defenders and you know b what your stance maybe is on, on Pep and <laughs> being a fraud, <laughs> being a fraud really, which is, uh, you know, we'll address that. I mean, I'm obviously being a bit bit mean saying that, but you'll, you'll see what I mean, I think, when we, when we start speaking now. Mm. What's your stance on this? Um, What was it he, he quoted last week in the Fra- press? Fraudioli, yeah. Fraudioli, yeah. I remember that going around, actually. I think criticism does get to him, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't like it, does he? No, um, no. But I think that's part of his personality. He's very, very intense, isn't he? And um, I think criticism of his work probably takes precedence in terms of the most thing he'd like least to happen. Um, I don't think he's a fraud at all. I think his, his CV says he isn't. But that no, that's it. There's a but. There has to be a but. And there's mm. going to be a but with what I say as well. Yeah. If we're, t- if we're talking about solely the current situation they're in, I think they are in a lot of trouble. I think in terms of their uh, style of play, I think Laporte is is massive to it. Yeah, He's by massive. far their best defender on the ball. Their whole game starts, their, all their attacks start from the from defence. I think probably their second best ball-playing defender, John Stones, is now also out. So... I think they are in trouble big time. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the next few weeks pan out. You know, we're probably going to see Fernandinho go in there. That'll be an experiment. But you wouldn't really expect the defending champions to be in this position so early on in, in a campaign. No, I think I think regarding Pep, obviously absolutely wonderful coach, gifted, unique Um the world's best, I'd say, at coaching, you, you know, a real controlling brand mm. of football whereby you are just in control of all all randomness, in control of proceedings, and you're dominant, basically. Mm. But at, at the same time, I think it's important to note that I think Pep's realistic in that he knows that because it's such an idealistic style of play that he wants to impose an idealistic game you need better than average superior players to also win while while playing that way. Mm. I think he's I think he's at peace with that really. Yeah. Um and you know he he gets slated for having having the best teams wherever he goes, which is definitely true. But I think he's as I said, I think he's realistic in that he knows that because of because of how demanding his style of play is the burden that you place on the shoulders of the players, particularly the defenders in this case. Yeah. You know, you've got they've got to be able to cope in isolation. They've got expe- excessive space in behind them. They've got to be decisive. Got to be cool-headed. Good on the ball with both feet. It's 
it's a lot of responsibility, mm. more than most centre-backs have to cope with. Say, for example, Liverpool with Van Dijk. Plenty Van Dijk just puts the ball into the stands yeah. just because he can, really. You don't really see that with City. No. There's a lot, a lot of burden placed on the shoulders. Yeah, and it, it goes back to that thing again, and you've just touched on his brand of football. He He's only really got one style, hasn't he? Um, and that's not new information. And the only way he really improves is by getting better at that one style of football. Yeah, which think, which is why I think they're going to be in such trouble over the coming weeks because he's not going to be able to adjust that playing style for the players who are. I mean, let, let's let's point out, of course, just say he puts Fernandinho in there, which we expect, don't we? Yeah, he's he's a fantastic ball player. Yeah, this is an important point. This year. yeah, but at the same time. Irrespective of how great a player it is and how many years he's played at an elite level, he will still be playing in an unfamiliar position, which will attract a lot of a lot of his thought process throughout the ninety minute game or however long he plays. And I think that will have implications on his ability or usual ability um, when he's trying to translate that from a midfield role into a centre back role. Yeah, I think in, in some areas, in terms of what. Pep wants from centre-back. Fernandinho is almost better suited than Stones is mm. in some areas in terms of like, I think his decision-making is slightly better. Mm. I think he's more aggressive, more decisive. He's worse aerially, which is where City tends to suffer, specifically from set-pieces, corners and things where like Stones that. Where Stones is surprisingly quite good, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. He posts solid numbers yeah. last season and all that. He was in the top three, wasn't he? For I think so, yeah, alongside maybe Massive and, and Van Dijk. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Shane Duffy, someone like that. Um, but yeah, just you know, on on Pep and his whole, the whole idealistic game that he has. I think if you think of other coaches that have such a f- philosophical approach to the game, like Keith Setien comes comes to mind to to form a better manager mm-hmm. and coaches like that, they, they impose beautiful football, aesthetically pleasing and things like that. But you don't tend to win an awful lot. Mm. In terms of trophies and silverware and leagues and things like that, and as I said, I think Pep's at peace with the fact that he's a wonderful coach, superb at instilling control and things like that. But you need the best players to be able to cope with those demands, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how City cope, given that they're already five points behind, and the one centre back that they do have fit is Otamendi, who is a decent centre back, but reminds me of Lovren in a sense in mm. that. He's prone to just being a bit erratic out of nowhere. Um, yeah, he's the type of player that could maybe put three or four fantastic performances together and you suddenly think... Might even score. Yeah, and you think this guy has finally pulled it together. He's going to be a, you know, we can rely on him now and, and then he'll go and be a fall for two goals in the next game. That's yeah. how I've always seen Awesome Endy. And for me, I know Stones gets a lot of stick and um, in a lot of parts it's, it's warranted. But I still think of who they've got at the moment. Stones is arguably the second best central defender for me, anyway. Yeah, I think Guardiola would probably opt for Stones over Otamendi yeah. if, if he could choose which one was still available. That's it. So they've basically got the worst central defender they could left fit. Yeah, he's he's just a rash yeah. type of player that you, just because of the style of his game, he's difficult to trust. Mm. And as I said, when you've got such demands placed on these players because of the style of play and things like that especially if opposing teams start now having a go after seeing what Nodge did yeah you know yeah. it will be interesting to see to see how it goes so I just thought thought that was worth noting and one, one other generic point just from the league obviously with this being an analytics podcast Arsenal faced 31 shots against Watford against um, Watford yeah. I think it's worth repeating that point against Watford that was yeah definitely uh, 31 shots against Watford which was the most shots that they've faced in a match since records started being recorded mm. uh, 2003 I believe slash 2004 that, that, that campaign um, and I think it relates to Liverpool because Arsenal right now are a very very inconsistent team in terms of results you you, you don't you don't know week to week if Arsenal are going to win draw or get hammered basically mm-hmm. in terms of the scoreline and the reason for that I believe is there's too much randomness in their games there's too much variance anything can happen 
if you're if, if you're allowing 31 shots on your goal anything can happen and if you compare that to Liverpool and City we have a great deal under our control we don't allow for much variance mm. all about the 1% all about nullifying randomness and random events and I think it just it, I think it just kind of epitomised for me why Arsenal are inconsistent and why Liverpool lost once last season in 38 games have won all f- is it five five yeah, matches yeah, won five, all five yeah. so far do you because, oh, come on, no. go on I was going to say on this point and the reason I'll I make it is because it's it's almost on the back of what we were just talking about in terms of Guardiola do you think Emery is too tactically fluid compared to so you've got two ends of the metric for me you've got Guardiola who's very rigid in his approach isn't he and Ray seems to be happy to ch- change the formation week by week and, and the, the st- I mean I'm still would you say they Arsenal have got a style yet that you could identify no I think I think that's the difference I think Guardiola's you know really fluid at times he he, he will He's obviously very experimental tactically. I think the, the difference is Guardiola has key principles in place that just yeah, fo- just form yeah. a base from which to work from. I don't really see that with Emery. No. I don't really think he's a he's a pressing coach in, specifically. Um, I'm not particularly sure what his outlook on the game is, what Arsenal is trying to achieve. And again, you come back to Liverpool. It's very clear what Liverpool's identity is. Yeah. It's very clear what we are trying to be little bit of a cheesy quote, but Klopp come out with one a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned it on the pod that intensity is our identity. Yeah. Little bit cheesy, but it's accurate for me. We we know what we are. Arsenal don't. And as I said, just just the level of variance, the level of randomness that Arsenal can't help but um welcome in their games because they can't control it is why they are so inconsistent and they are conceding 31 shots a match and Liverpool are at the opposite end in control of most things that happen and allow roughly seven seven or eight shots a match I think we're, we're facing this season mm. in the Premier League so yeah I just thought it was a relevant point so well and as 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 we touched on earlier before the pod they're the, the taking on twice as many of those shot, shots themselves aren't they yeah Liverpool, yeah, so Liverpool tend to take about it, double yeah, yeah that's it so if you if you Taking as many shots, well, twice as many shots as you can see, then over the course of a campaign, you should be in a good position come the end of the season, shouldn't you? It's as simple as that, really. Yeah. And speaking of shots taken and speaking of dominance, we will move on to Newcastle. We'll touch briefly upon it uh, if we can, because it was. It feels like it was an age ago. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, but it went, I'd say, roughly as expected. It was. I mean, we conceded first, yeah. which wasn't ideal. We mentioned that a couple of times, but um, I think the match went went pretty much how we how we predicted it to go. If you listen to the show last week, or if you listen back to it now, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, we basically almost called everything that did happen. The only thing we did make a big point of that didn't turn out to be as bad as as we thought it could have been was we didn't you didn't want Newcastle to get that first goal which they did an early goal as well but I think it showed the uh, the prowess of Liverpool that uh, there wasn't really much panic was there and unlike at Tottenham where there seemed a lot of huffing and puffing and very slow and laboured in trying to create chances Liverpool just seemed to grow into the game after a fairly slow start obviously the one man's introduction that we'll talk about in a bit Really up, moved the gears for them, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a, it turned out to be a pretty routine win, didn't it? It did. I mean, Newcastle came with the with the five four one mm. that we said uh, same game plan as expected. Get ten, sometimes eleven behind the ball, and focus on counter attacking, which I thought they were quite dangerous in the early stages in terms of getting up the field. Maybe not in terms of getting shots away, but. They did break out a few times. They have got quick players. You mentioned that too, didn't you? Yeah, I thought he actually played pretty well. I know he, he got dispossessed for one of the goals, but what I really liked was when, when on the rare occasions, Newcastle do win possession in that, like 5-4-1. They, they break out immediately into like a 4-4-2, don't they? And the guy who, 
who brings the pace to explode is Atsu in supporting Joel Linton. And I actually thought that left side was probably the, the most dangerous for Newcastle um, because of Wilhelms, who ends up getting the goal, I thought. He was the only player for the, Newcastle, certainly from the defence anyway, that seemed to be, whether he was breaking instruction a little bit, he seemed to be happy to gamble on pushing forward a little bit when Newcastle had the ball and um, getting himself past the halfway line, which in turn kind of made the most vulnerable as well in terms of defence. It was sad that Liverpool were quite enjoying getting down. Yeah, well, it was it was um, it's something that we've seen before in terms of teams just focusing on our right side mm. as a means of attacking us. There's not really a great deal of weaknesses in Liverpool, but if you're gonna pick something out, it's probably the the matchup strength area of the field. Uh, just the anti Van Dyke side, basically. Yeah, basically, and I think that's what Willems was was trying to do. I think it was probably an instruction from Steve Bruce in terms of just overloading strength if mm. you can. Um, and it, you know, it worked for the first goal, I suppose. Yeah, but I think just taking it taking it back a little bit. I think I was surprised initially with the the selection of Liverpool because we, we we picked Oxlade Chamberlain. Oxley Chamberlain and Rigi, Divock Rigi came in for for Firmino, uh, and I just thought it was I thought they were quite strange changes to make. I I I predicted beforehand that we'd see Shakiri and a four two three one. Yeah. Um, but the the, the reasons I, I couldn't really get my head around Ox playing alongside Rigi is firstly on Ox. He thrives most when when he's got space ahead of him to to dart into. He, he thrives when, um, you know, the game's relatively open, quite end to end. In the past, I've called him like the the batting carrier mm. from the midfield, taking it to the attack. That yeah, kind of player. He, like, he likes to be able to run with with power, doesn't he? Almost an attack. At, at, yeah, drive and drive and force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think. Considering Newcastle, they were never really going to exit their own defensive third. thought that was a little bit of an odd, odd choice. And then Origi. If Origi comes in, Origi then goes on the left, Mane goes in the centre. Mm. And you've then, you've then not got that player who is inclined to drop off and cause a bit of disruption. You've got a front three of Origi, Mane, Saleh, all of which are inclined to go the other way running behind and you just don't you don't cause as many tactical problems for the opposing team no. I think one of the reasons as I've said before that Firmino Salah and Mane cause so many problems is that you've got two players running one way and the central player coming the opposite way mm. and the centre backs don't know which way to go you, you've got constant choices Yeah, I just think with Rigi as I said, just just, just with, with Newcastle, considering what they are, defensive team, they had 26% possession on the day. 817 passes for Liverpool, 267 for, for Newcastle. They're not coming out their own, their own block. I just thought it was a bit weird to, to play a lad in midfield who thrives when the game's open and wants to run. And you take out the man up front who's in the sense and pulling off the cute movements mm. and that kind of thing. I just thought it was a bit, little bit odd. What I found watching that when when those three play together is it seems to it seems to go from an attacking unit when Firmino's, Firmino's in there with the other two players to almost... I think this is a, a bit extreme, but it, it seems to go with three individuals then playing up there. Does that make sense? So it make, Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it becomes less of like a, a collective unit and more of... Players almost doing their own thing. Um, as I said, it might that might seem a little bit extreme, but I think it's the dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, it just completely changes. It, yeah, it just becomes a different strike force, which sounds ridiculous. Nearly <laughs> <laughs> knockout blow there, mate. Um, yeah, it's no, you keep these down. Sorry, I've just been hit in the face by a mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds on. ridiculous when you still have two of the same three on the pitch, but it does change the dynamic completely. Um, <laughs> and we obviously saw the impact when when Firmino comes on. Yeah, I just think like when you've got that central player who's inclined to drop off, and you've got the two running in behind, it's just like them they're, they're made for each other. It's those tailored, it's those personal traits that just naturally complement the other traits mm. that are in the same attack. With Rigi, 
it just mixes it up a bit more and there's there's more conflicting traits rather mm. than complimenting. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm just not not overly sure as to what the thinking was behind that. Um but obviously it was resolved after about like thirty minutes or mm. so. Because for me no answers to Frey. Liverpool's glue guy, Liverpool's yeah. glue man. Same and he you know, unbelievable. I don't know what you thought of him. Yeah, phenomenal. And as you touched on there, the headache he gives central defenders and forgetting everything else that's around them, just that idea of do we do we follow him when he drops and potentially leave space to be exposed behind us? Or do we stay and basically leave him to pick up the ball in the middle? I, I can't think of a player who who does that role as good as Firmino in, in world football. Yeah. I, I, I can't. Th- I just, I look at him and he seems to just, he seems to be playing like in the Matrix almost. He, <laughs> he sees things that even as a spectator, you just don't see. Um, Do you know what, right, I've said, one of, one of the major, major traits of his game and his link-up play, that is overlooked because it's probably such a simple thing that he does. He links the play with one touch. He links the play with max two touches. Mm. There's no like dwelling on the ball. He doesn't have to think. He already he already knows what's ahead of him. Yeah. He already knows his next move. So when when the ball comes into him, and opposing defenders have to address the situation and think, what shall I do now? He's already gone, or or, or the ball's already gone, or he already knows, you know what he's going to do before the defender even knows he's going to assume possession. He's just, the way he links to play with, with with one touch, two touch, just allows Liverpool to move up the field really quickly, use the speed of Salah and Mane running in behind the fo- opposing defences. And But it's it's just that that tiny fact that he just links to play with so few touches and so little time. I think what he does that I've noticed is it's his it's his body movements on the ball. There's never any like um, backlift or anything on his passes. So there's, there, he doesn't tend to open up his body to make a clear he's going left or he's going right. He's, he, he he seems sometimes very rigid on the ball, but that gives no indication to a, a defender as to which way he's going to go. So he, he's just so snapshot with his with his passing that it's so so difficult as a defender to know where or what he's doing next with the ball and it's not just the, the two attackers he links well with I think he's he's the man who lays the ball off to when Trent and Robertson are pushing on down the flanks as well he's he's almost he's, he's almost go- like he- an advanced pivot yeah he is yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point yeah it's it's crazy it's crazy how good he is yeah, he's the glue. I've I've said that plenty mm-hmm. of times. He is the glue in the side. Even when Trent's pushing forward and he hits that like driven low pass into the final third, mm-hmm. it's always Bobby who's who's collecting that. Um and I think that natural link man, that advanced that's a great shout, that advanced pivot. Yeah. That that advanced pivot that he that he acts as when he's not playing. Mane has to do it or Origi has to do it or Salah has to do it or a midfielder has to do it and he can and it will happen occasionally and we'll win games and it'll be fine but none of them are naturally inclined to do it and when you're doing something naturally it's different and it's smoother than when you're having to think mm. uh, and that, that's that's what Bobby brings he, he, even his first touch his first touch usually as well flawless and yeah. he, he buys himself time with it yeah, just little things like that. Those 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 things you can't measure. Those um, just football and traits that you know. It just makes me think of the likes of Dennis Bergkamp, a player like that. Maybe yeah. uh, just those football and traits that you you have to consider, but you can't really. He he basically has all the traits, doesn't he? Of a what people would call a luxury player, but then he's a grafter. A grafter, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like the best of both worlds, isn't he? Yeah, he's really, really unique. Can you see why? Can you see why Klopp left him out, or do you think it was a wrong decision? No, I think he he left him out with view to a not conceding first, b needing him for Napoli. Yeah. C the fact he just played late for Brazil. Mm. Um, 
and day. I don't. I, I just think you know with the standard of Newcastle, I think he may may have thought the lads who come in can do yeah can do the job. That'll be enough kind yeah. of thing, which is reasonable. They probably, I thought that yeah. myself. I was surprised to see him benched, but I still thought to myself that's still enough to win. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the Firmino role is ultimately what what Brewster will end up mastering. Mm. I don't think he's particularly a wide forward Brewster. I think he'll end up being that link man, that Firmino-esque type player, Where, but he's got a serious role to live up to there because Firmino posts really high standards in what he does. I yeah. think, you know, I worked the new camp last season, Wayne Alton tried to do it for a one-off match. Yeah, And he, he's just, it was just didn't work. It just he, he hasn't got that that speed of thought, the forward thinking elements of his game whereby he knows what's coming before he even receives a pass. The first touch whereby after that first touch you're in a better position to move forwards. So, you know, all, all things like that. Uh, just a really, really underappreciated player for me now. And I think we should be, you know, we obviously Not in this that. room now. No, no yeah. not in this room now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a solid performance. Yeah, so the, the Willems goal, um, that was 0.04. That was a 0.04 shot. And I think it's worth it's worth mentioning that. Although it's not ideal if you're allowing that, um, do you almost want him to take that shot? Is, is, is that a shot that is almost so unrealistic? Did you the value was? 0.04 on that. Obviously it goes in 4% of the time for those yeah. that... Um, you know. um, so, I think he... he <laughs> Oh, th- th- I think Alison from yeah, Alison's perspective. I knew this was coming. I yeah. think Alison saves it, and I think most most players would sky that or hit it wide. It's just unfortunate that he caught it so well, found the top corner with it. But it's one of them shots that you almost have to. I don't know. I don't Does know. He, it's a difficult d- d- one. I think about the uh, the pathway path of the ball, right? So Adrian does get there in the sense that he gets to the trajectory of the ball about a split, half a second after it goes. So, has he just hit it so well with so much pace that it, he just couldn't get there? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a great strike, don't get me wrong. I just think, left-back, wasn't he? A left-back taking that shot with, I think, his weaker foot. On the corner of the box, mm. okay, you're inside the penalty box, but I'm just not sure if that's if that's maybe an error on Trent's part, or if that's a shot that you do almost welcome to an extent, and you say, "Go on, try and find the back of the net with that," because you probably won't. And with Allison in goal, I do think personally, Allison saves it. Saves it. I think if you watch the replays back, Adrian gets closer than you think. Um. But I just thought it was worth mentioning because it's 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 an interesting little little point to me because obviously the common perception amongst amongst most most football pundits out there would be you don't allow any shot, yeah. but that's that's not really the case. Some shots some shots are so unlikely to go in to find a back of the net. You do almost welcome. Well, yeah, you, yeah. I mean, you're spot on. Anything you know, zero point zero five or below, you, you would welcome. You know, you'd rather take you'd rather teams taking pot shots against you than creating big chances. Um, yeah, I, I just think that's a really tough one. I thought he, he he played his initial bit of skill to create that little opening was good as well. And is it harsh to blame Trent for that? I I think it is. I know his job's there to defend, but he's yeah. He, I'm gonna be. Honest, I just think it's one of those goals. Yeah, you gotta just accept. Yeah, it. Yeah, just accept it. Yeah, bounced back really well from it, so it it didn't go on to me. And I don't really think we can blame anyone. Yeah, I mean, it it did seem to weak Liverpool up a little bit. Yeah. And I think the introduction of Firmino did so as well. And if you look at the, the XG timeline for the match, both teams create virtually nothing for half an hour, mm. apart from the Newcastle goal, but yeah. that's not really a created shot. That That's just a complete, I don't want to say a fluke, but they don't go in often, as I've said. And after, it, it was a great strike, but no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think after the half-hour mark... Mm. We we then we if you know if you if you check the timeline after the half hour mark we do really take it up a notch and I think yeah. we're capable of doing that. Should have um, had a penalty as well, to be fair, in my opinion. I can't remember what that was. Massive gets pulled down. Oh in yeah, the box. yeah. Not that this is a, a penalty type podcast, yeah. but no, it is worth noting that. 
you know, it, the, the, that I, I did equalise it could have come a little bit sooner. Yeah, that's one for the referees to give that though for my, for me. I don't mm. think that was gonna I, I had no hope at all that I was gonna give it. Um it was a refereeing thing for me and the referee chose not to, so straight away I left it there because yeah. I, I knew the technology mm. weren't gonna give it. Uh, and Liverpool ended up posting uh two point eight XG to Newcastle's 0.3-ish. There's a little bit of variance amongst certain models. Some models have got it as, got it as about 0.3. Some models have got it, Newcastle as about 0.5 or so. Um, so, yeah, just a, a very dominant performance. I just find it interesting, sorry, that... Uh, just, just in terms of gauging the difference between, you know, City, Liverpool and then everyone else... Tottenham third best team and just having a look now their next year against Newcastle was 0.78 if you think about it what was Liverpool's uh, 2.8 it just shows really the well, diff- that's, that's what I mean I yeah. said I said last time because I, I watched that game Spurs had all the ball but you're not doing nothing with it mm. you're not asking the opposing team questions you're not causing them problems and I think with Liverpool, I was aware we'd have all of the ball, but we had to... And if you look at the three goals, well, I checked the three goals earlier. Liverpool's three against Newcastle. All three involved Newcastle having a fairly, uh, you know, stable, solid block. Like a rigid block. Yeah, but in, in each goal, in each moment, Liverpool just do something to just draw a player out of position. As soon as that player's drawn out, you play a ball directly into that space. It's it's if, if you watch the goals back, it's really interesting to well, see how the how they materialise because it's it's literally a clinic on how you break down a block. Yeah. Well, we did say, didn't we? And I remember watching the game thinking they are a good defensive unit. And you know, for all the stick that Newcastle get, they're a good defensive side because of the way they play. So Liverpool had to be a level above to break them down. As you said, they did on several occasions and I actually had a, a few more chances that they could have maybe converted or would have went in. It could have been a more comprehensive win, but I thought it was just a, a, a really, really good good victory against a, a tough, tough side in terms of a, you know, a low block defensive unit. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So 3-1, we will, we will take it. That, that's more than enough for me. Mm. And then we moved on midweek to Napoli. Again, I was slightly surprised by the team selection. I obviously predicted last week that we'd see Gomez come in mm. and would see Ox come in. And that's purely based on A, the traits of those players, B, the traits of the opponents, and C, just what Klopp has tended to do. In you know certain matches, it's just what I, what he's done in the past, kind of thing, really. But he didn't. He uh, he opted for James Milner, which we're obviously going to have to address because yeah. uh, it was it was a, a fair talking point. Um, what are your thoughts? So something that I should have brought up really when we talked most of a couple of minutes ago. So I won't stay on it too long. But do you think this is just a theory? But I'm interested in your opinion. Do you think Klopp has lost a little bit of trust in Oxlade Chamberlain in in games because he doesn't feel like he's maybe at that level where you know for the fact he's going to come in and do this job? So we've kind of given him a remit there, the type of player he is, haven't we? Which is a fair assessment. But is he is he consistent enough now that he knew if he played him in Napoli, he would guarantee? Um, He'd put that level of performance in they needed to play that role. Because when I've watched watched him a lot since his return, which hasn't been long, he's he just hasn't. He's just been hit and miss, shall we say? And I just wonder whether, you know, I'll touch on Klopp's mindset maybe in these games. But I think Klopp wants to be a little bit more conservative, doesn't he, when he goes to these places in Europe? Certainly, as in the last twelve months. And did did he look at Milner as that more reliable option in the game? I do think the reliable shout is 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 relevant. I think if you look at Milner's stats, you know, over the course of the past six months, maybe mm. past year or whatever, whatever it may be, I think he's, he's he seems to start Milner in the matches that are deemed in a traditional sense to be, you know, a bit tough, a bit of a fight mm. where you need to 
almost place your mark. Like Old Trafford, Goodison, Napoli away, the Etihad, places like that. He seems to opt for Milner. Uh, the bigger th- psychological battles, maybe. That's what I mean, yeah. Mm. I think Klopp's a big believer in the psychology of the game, the emotional aspects, certainly, behind the game. And I think one of the biggest perks Milner brings to Liverpool at the minute is his um, his mental capacity, his professionalism, mm. his, you know, his, his endeavour, all those traits that you want in a football, really. So, I I can see the thinking in why he maybe deems him as suitable in, in these types of matches. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's made statements in the past about, I'm not sure if it was Neymar or if it was Messi, but it was just a very old-school Sooners-type comment, mm. Roy Keane-type comment, whereby he just said, you've, you've got to... Um, You've got to make your mark to almost let these top players know that you're they're in for the game, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it does sound very da, but <laughs> it's it it does still apply to the game yeah. in the modern day. You do still have to kind of rough these superior players up, and I think Milner is is good at doing that. He's good at getting involved and that kind of thing. And I do I do think Klopp admires that. I do think Klopp likes that. Mm. But I'm just. I'm just not sure if he's if he's still got that level of output. Yeah. To to complete to compete with these top players. Yeah. Well, me and you were talking earlier, weren't we? And I mean, you were obviously watching a lot of footage of him. Um, he just. I mean, how old is he now? Thirty three. I think he's thirty four. Thirty four. He's 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 probably now lacking that explosiveness. I'd say the explosiveness that you need to. Yeah. This is. Something I'm going to mention, yeah. Yeah, to just to just to close up, close players down and get there, and um, you know we're talking at the highest level now. So I have no doubt that Milner is still Premier League football um, standard. Yeah, no doubt. No. Probably even the top six, more most top six sides. But where Liverpool are at, in this stage of their development under Klopp, they are the elite of the elite, aren't they? And they're playing in the toughest of games. Napoli being one, I thought Napoli were really good, to be honest, thinking to Liverpool. And you just wonder whether uh, Milner's now maybe getting exposed at, at that level. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched I watched his performance back before. I watched every every event that he was involved in. And you obviously can't label too much at his legs are gone because <laughs> he wins the lactate test at Liverpool yeah. in pre-season every year. He's still clearly got the marathon man about him. Uh, he can run for days. We we know that. He can cover all kinds of distance, um, which is obviously a positive. But at the same time, I think it, the acceleration is is not there. The acceleration, quickness off the mark, mm. isn't really there as much anymore. And I think... Against top sides, which is when Klopp seems to play him, it can, it can come across as he's almost he's just a second late every now and then. Mm. He it can come across as though he's chasing shadows, and I think if you compare it with Henderson, you know the whole concept of pressing really is to, in a defensive sense, if you if you're pressing, you almost want to force the opponent back. You either want to enforce a mistake mm. or, or force the opponent back kind of thing. And I think when Henderson does it, he's harrying and he's running. But he's he's forcing the opponent back while doing so. I think Milner, when you watch Milner do it, certainly lately against Napoli, it just looks as though he's chasing players, yeah. which is a, there's a real difference there. Yeah, there he's, not, he's not forcing opposing players back. He's chasing them and he's caught behind the ball. And he's a second late here and there. And it's just a a little bit of a point that I think although I'm not you know I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of picking out a scapegoat or whatever. I don't think for one second that Milner's the reason we lost the game or whatever. But I do think he has maybe reached a point in his career whereby he's just not entirely suited to facing the top opponents. Just because of how easily they can get away from you, mm. and how the defensive demands on you, 
become a bit more intense. Yeah. Well, the thing is, as you touched on with pressing, it has to be, certainly how Liverpool do it, it has to be proactive, doesn't it, rather than reactive. And what I mean by that is it can't be following the opposition's movements on the ball. It, it has to be close, you know, hurrying close and passing angles down and trying to force those mistakes. And as you said, if, if Milner's in a position where he's chasing the player rather than limiting his options on the ball, let's say Henderson does, then it's no longer that effective unit that's meant to be. And players do vary. I think you can have a player who builds up speed, almost goes through the gears. So they might be a quick player, but they're not quick off the mark. So there'll be like a gear mover where at, at the, as they start going five, ten yards, they get quicker, quicker until they hit top speed. Yeah. But then you'll have other good players who are accelerators who can explode off the off the mark and um, over the five yard area are really quick and they're like, not like an ox. Yeah, yeah. And they're the best players, I think, in, if you're looking at a, a, someone who's pressing. If you've got a player who takes a few, who takes a little bit, you know, maybe 10 yards to build up the pace, because I still think Milner can ex- exhibit some pace yeah, over yeah. a longer period, though. But with, if not, if you're not able to put those short, sharp bursts in, then then you get found out, sadly. And I think that's what we're seeing now with, with Milner. So I just want to say, I have to agree totally. I don't think... I don't think he should be the sole scapegoat for that result because, you know, it, it seemed like Liverpool needed to blame someone for the loss and he was one of them. And, he, and I'm right in saying he only got, he didn't play the full 90 anyway, did he? he only no, I think it was about 67, 60, 70 yeah, minutes so, or something like that. No, it was nil nil when he come off, so um, give him a break. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I do wonder how, if he's going to be used in that same manner this season compared to how he was last yeah, I just, I think he, it, 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 I haven't got that much of a problem with him being used sporadically against certain opponents, the right opponents, um, for the remainder of the season or so. It's just Klopp seems set to like using him in big, big fixtures, probably because of that mental aspect mm-hmm. of it. I'm just not sure he's entirely suited to it as as much anymore. Uh, just a little bit more on the lineups. Obviously, we we didn't go for Gomez over Trent. Insigne did play and shot only once. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that was. I said to you then. I was watching the whole game, and every time I picked it up near the penalty area, I was like, "Here we go, here yeah. we go." But yeah, the. Uh, but if you if you look at a shot map, that one shot was exactly where you'd expect it to be, <laughs> right in the corner of the box, yeah. just as you enter. It was inside the box, though, which is where we said he should we should push him away from. Yeah. Uh, I actually thought he had a good game, by the way. Yeah, and another player who had good game was Lozano, who started. Yeah, Napoli started with a quite offensive formation. I thought quite offensive personnel as well, four four two, which is vaguely what we expected. But you know, we Lozano, Mertens, Insigne, Ruiz, offensive team, and I th- think Lozano showed up as a decent player. Yeah, well, when. Um Obviously, that was a, it's, it's it's basically like a four four two, isn't it? Without the ball, but it it almost transitions into a four two four when they had the ball. I think that did a good job of penning in Liverpool's fullbacks on occasions. I I did notice looking at um, positional maps um, over the past, over this season. Actually, it was only the second time Trent um, Trent's average was inside Liverpool's half. Oh yeah, yeah. The other was. Burnley, which is quite surprising, but see that's what I mean. If that was, if that is the case, I'm just a bit surprised you would not then pick Gomez for that. For yeah, that role in the I dance. understand. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna use him in more of a conservative way, then yeah, surely Gomez. But maybe he he, he still believed the offensive threat of Trent was too much to not have on the pitch. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I thought they'd done a really good job, and it was a strange one with Liverpool's fullbacks, actually, wasn't it? Um. Because maybe that four two four did kind of pen them in a little bit more than. Well, I think I think Ancelotti's approach was. I think he just went for the same as last year for me. Mm. Just that little tactical ploy whereby you're a bit more offensive on your left side. You're you almost become like a lopsided four three three, like a diagonal almost, isn't it on the pitch? Yeah, bit, yeah. And you you use your left back to advance, let Koulibaly take up Salah. Mm. Uh, 
it didn't work as well as it did last season. And, you know, that that offers a segue, I suppose, into the general performance on the day because that's obviously what we're focused on in this show, mm. the performance rather than the results. And for me, the performance was good. I don't know about you, um, but I thought we were... Maybe it was because I was comparing this to last year, but I thought the performance was good. If you look at the XG timeline, up until the penalty, we'd had the better of the game in terms of mm. shots and things like that. Yeah, I did notice that, yeah. We had about two attacks whereby no shot materialised, so it obviously won't show up on XG, but if we did shoot in those areas, they would have been high-quality chances. Mm. I'm thinking specifically when Mane laid it off to Salah, but it was a bit too heavy. Yeah. Which people... Seem to think he did on purpose because we lost the game. <laughs> Just these no, random little. You know, I, I, of course he didn't do it on purpose. But one thing I, I do believe is if that storm in the teacup that happened at Burnley a couple of weeks ago didn't happen, I think Mane takes that on his own and scores. Yeah, maybe so. I, I was willing him at the time to, yeah. to go along. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. I was thinking if you don't pass, and you know, you touched on it earlier about Firmino, the way he's all on instinct, isn't he? doesn't really um, have to think about these things that he does. I think that kind of happened in that game. I think if Mane didn't have to, to worry about... Say if he was up there with Firmino, I think he just I think he just goes on on instinct, buries it. And I mean buries yeah, it. Yeah. But maybe that overthinking forces that error in the pass, which was a simple pass really. Yeah, but the thing is, even if he, even if he gets the pass on and he makes the pass... Salah's left-footed coming in from the right. Mm. So Salah would have had to let... Knowing how left-footed Salah is, Salah would have probably let the ball run across his body before he took a shot. Just would have been better for me for, for Mane to go along, I think, there. Yeah. Uh, but as I said, th- th- those are chances that won't even won't even accumulate in, in the XG because no shot materialised from it. Mm. Whereas Napoli, for example, get about 0.76 XG from the penalty that they got, which skews things a little bit but I do think Liverpool were the better team well I actually just on that point you're talking about up until the penalty I'll do the better team I did notice and I think you could pick you could pick up on the feel of the game as well Liverpool were probably in the midst of their best spell of the game where they go in that from about the 60th to 75th minute yeah and I know the attacks per 90 minutes it peaked at about uh, 0.7 per minute it was um, which was the highest all game so it, it showed really that was the 15 minutes before the penalty yeah so it just shows how dominant I think Liverpool went on the cusp of nicking a goal to be honest before that mistake uh, or penalty I should say um, yeah and it, it, it was against the run of play and as I said I think if it's nil-nil that final 10 minutes I believe there's a good chance Liverpool could have went on and and nick something out of the game. Yeah, I think a, I think a draw would have been fine. Yeah, draw would have been fair. If not a draw for me, yeah, Liverpool win up until the penalty incident, which we might as well address. <laughs> We're not going to address it for long because it's it's not for this not for this podcast. But general opinions, what do you think? And, and we'll probably say it now. We're probably going to. Cause a bit of conflict with a few listeners here because yeah. I think a lot of a lot of Liverpool fans are very strong on their opinions on this one. Yeah, and I mentioned someone to you there, and I thought got it spot on. Uh, I think he listens as well, Dan Kenny. Yeah, I think yeah. he's a fan of the show. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, I thought he summed it up perfectly. I thought the penalty was a little bit soft, but I can still see why it was given. I also don't think it was enough to be overturned. Um, you know. It, Robertson's opened the door sadly for <laughs> yeah. for the penalties to be given and I think as I said you can you can complain that's harsh but uh, I don't think you can have many complaints that it's being given No I agree I mean when I watched it in real time my first thought was Stonewall penalty initially uh, in real time and reason I thought that is because Rui, I think it's Ruiz is it sure it is yeah. whoever it was running towards Robertson Robertson gets you could say he gets done on the inside. Mm. But when he gets done, it's still fine. And Robertson can still just shepherd them away from goal uh, in the direction of the centre circle. Mm. But for whatever reason, he opted to, to make a challenge and to try and intercept the ball, try and regain the ball, whatever it may be. 
and evolves thin air. So, if you're going to do that in the box, having just been beaten, really, you absolutely can't moan. If there's any kind of contact and the opposing player goes down, for me, we're asking for that all day long at the opposite end. And, you know, obviously people are slowing it down for absolute millisecond, like just three frames almost. Um, and I think that's that's fine. And it looks as though there's no contact. But, you know... For, that's for, not how the game's played, though, is no, it? No, it's not how the game's played. And I, I know that's how VAR's played, technically. Mm. But he was still contact there. Robertson still made a defensive mistake. If you if you rewatch the uh, the incident, take the Napoli player out of it completely, and just watch what Robertson does, it's just clumsy. It's just it, it's a defensive error mm. that does more often than not lead to a penalty. So I didn't have that much of an issue with it compared to most Reds. I was going to tweet about it, but fancy the quiet night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping nobody. Uh, the only thing, sorry, that people take away from this podcast, I hope it isn't the penalty discussion. Yeah, hopefully not. Because that mean, would it's... that would hurt our feelings, to be honest. Because uh, as as Josh touched on, that's that's not what this is about, really. Is it? it's just something that we couldn't couldn't ignore. Yeah, it's a talking point, isn't it? That you've yeah. got you've got to address. But I think it was just one of them that it's difficult to deal with in the moment. Be a bit better about it, a bit sour about it. But as I said, if you look at Robertson's actions, uh, it it was just an, an okay penalty for me. I, I did think it at the time. The referees gave it in real time, like me, like us. Mm. And I don't think it was innocent enough for VAR to overturn that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've, we've addressed it. Move on quickly. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> but I want to talk about losing. <laughs> I tweeted about this. Um, because I think there's a we've almost forgot how to lose because I think there's a a bit of outcome bias there in that when when you lose there has to be a problem there has to be an issue that you have to overcome or something needs fixing basically something needs fixing yeah Um, and I think I think we we are thinking like that because in the past, over the years that Klopp's been here specifically, losses have really taught us things. You know, I'm, I think in particular, Wembley against Spurs. I think we lost four one. Lovren, uh, and <laughs> and I just think we, we've learned plenty of lessons over the years. But and sometimes defeats, you know, offer an insight into a flaw or an area that needs addressing a lesson that needs to be learned. But so, sometimes you can just lose. It happens in football. For no real... Obviously, there's a cause and effect in the match. Mm. But in the grand scheme of things, sometimes it, there's nothing particular there that needs to be taken from the game. Um, no definitive takes need to be made. On the opposite end of the pitch, we could have easily won if the penalty's not given. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's it wasn't... I just feel the need to say, you know, lo- losing as as weird as it feels as a Liverpool fan. This is, believe it or not, only the second loss this show covered. The other one was three 0 to Barca. I'm not sure what episode this is, but it's been a fair amount. Yeah. So it is a weird feeling, but they do happen, and when when they do happen, especially you'd almost choose it to be in a match like this, really, whereby the performance has still been good. Mm. It's in a group that we should progress from, regardless. Yeah. That, this was this was the toughest match on paper. Yeah, and it? it's, a, it's, a, it's a good team as well. So w- when the performance levels from both teams are so tightly matched mm. in, a, in in a game, things can just happen to sk- to skew a result one way, and Napoli ends up taking end up getting the first break to with the penalty, and scored a second as a result of us overcoming and committing in the opposite end. This is this game is probably the best example you'll get at the point you're trying to make, in my opinion. So it was on a knife edge. As I said, for me, Liverpool were actually growing into the game in the second half and the, the side that were probably going to go on to win it if anyone was. But football is just, you know, you love this word and I have to agree, it's a chaotic game. 
it yeah, is yeah, it. it is. And things can change. It's in random. A click, isn't it? of a, click of a thing. You can only can. Like, you, as, as you talked about at the top of the show, the idea is to control as much as you can, but you've got to accept that you can't control everything. There was a mistake uh, in the penalty um, from nowhere, really. The second goal is neither here nor there because, yeah, it's a defensive error, but the game's already already done at that point. Um, I think it's a perfect example. I actually believe Liverpool learned a lot from the defeat last time there that they brought into this game, which is why it was a better performance. You know, I talked, didn't I, last week about the difference in the... PPDA, it was a, it was a upwards of twenty last year. You now it was it was ten, just over ten this time round. So they obviously they were a lot better pressing. They didn't pressing the opponent. Didn't give them as much respect on the ball. Um, so there was lessons certainly learned, and sometimes you've just got to accept that. Yeah, you you you've, you've lost this one, and there wasn't that much you could have done about it. I totally agree, and hopefully we will take that into consideration and improve ahead of the weekend because mm. we've got Chelsea again. <laughs> it was like we just addressed them a couple of weeks ago, to be honest, but we have them again. And I think we've, we, me and Christian vaguely previewed what we expected from them before the season started. And I think, I think for me, it's, it's going as expected because they're very inconsistent. Yeah. We, they're all over the place in terms of getting results and it's no, it's no real shock to me. We don't really ahead of the, ahead of getting the job, we didn't know what Frank Lampard was going to be, and we didn't know what Chelsea were going to be. Mm. We still don't really, and because of that, you know the results are all over the place. So it's it's difficult to predict exactly what we're going to face. Um, but it should be an entertaining match. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think what he's trying to do, from what I've seen. He's doing variations like four three threes, four two three ones, isn't he? He's trying to implement like a an attack mind approach with I'd say a focus on, you know, high press and play. But the only criticism I have is it does feel as if he's trying to go from naught to sixty and skipping a few gears. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems that Chelsea are getting found out a few times in doing it. I don't think he has the playing personnel. If you look at like Kertouma, for example, who had a very good season at Everton last year, he he just looks a shell of the player he was at Chelsea at the moment, and I think he's struggling with being exposed as much as they they are in the current formation that they're playing in. Um, I thought he played well against Liverpool in the Super Cup, but then they've had so many strange performances since that I don't really know what what you'll see on. Yeah, well, I mean. Just on, on Lampard, obviously he's only had one full season in management, yeah. and then he got a job at Chelsea, which a season we actually looked a lot into, didn't we? Because we yeah, liked a little bit I'll, about I'll, Derby. I'll reel off some numbers now. That last season, Derby finished twenty first in the division for XG. Mad, yeah. Shouldn't wait finished in the table. He finished twenty third in the division for XG per shot, which offers an insight into how clear cut your shots are on average. So obviously they weren't creating clear cut shots. Having said that, they scored 18 goals more than their expected figure, which is what weird teams do, like Burnley, for example. Burnley tends to just overperform because they embrace the random side of the game, they embrace the chaos and that kind of thing. Um, And Derby defensively, again, I don't think they were great. Um, They finished... They conceded... Should have conceded 63, mm-hmm. uh, but they conceded 57. So the, the overperformance isn't that mad on that, uh, in that case. But overall, over the course of the season, that's an overperformance of about 25 goals. In their favour. So what what that means is, you know, you, you don't really know what you're going to get from Lampard based on that season because there's been such randomness there. There's no real performance levels there that you can get a gauge from. Um. So he's coming to Chelsea. We didn't really know what he was going to be. And it, again, you can see why Derby have been so mad last mm-hmm. season because Chelsea, right now, end-to-end basketball games kind of thing, very open. And I think that bodes well for Liverpool, really, because their Chelsea's performance levels have gen- generally been quite good 
with the odd absolute mad mistake whereby the wide open or mm. and I think that's that's not really been helped by the varied formations he's used. He's used a variety of formations already, which he did last season at Derby. Mm. And if you if you're doing that while imposing the high pressing approach with a team that's not really used to doing that, mm. a few youngsters in there as well, it's just very very chaotic, like you've just said. So uh, it should be definitely an interesting game. I think that's safe enough to say. Yeah, uh, well, it'll play. It'll definitely play into Liverpool's hands because it's chalk and cheese. If you actually look at the difference between the two, you know, talking about that that blueprint of Liverpool again, and you know, you you know, you know what to expect with Liverpool, and they just that same sort of experience, shall we say, just isn't there with Chelsea, and he's. I think he's just trying to implement a, an idea too quick. Um, I mean, ag- against us in the Super Cup, they did adjust. He did appreciate, okay, this isn't... Not a, I'm not sure. This is Liverpool. We need to adjust. So the pressure was a bit more measured. Mm. The block was a bit deeper. He used a few more experienced heads. And we found it trickier. We So if, if he imposes the same game... It will be another sticky match, but I'm just thinking, with this now being at home, you know, Stamford Bridge, and his youngsters now having a bit more confidence about them, maybe he'll go a little bit more intense in this match. Yeah, um, because I, I just can't see them being... It doesn't matter who goes there. I think Chelsea fans still expect their side to go out and attack to an extent, irrespective of it's Liverpool, and I think there will be that pressure to, to try and play a little bit or just come out more and I think that's that could potentially play into into Liverpool's hands in the game to be honest and just a quick word on obviously Sammy Abraham mm. who seems to have found his feet don't know if it's a sh- shock for you but it's not really for me I, I, I actually tipped him to do well this season didn't have, didn't have enough conf- confidence in him to back him in the fantasy league <laughs> <laughs> but, it's not too late <laughs> but I did think he'd have a good season and that's based on last season. We obviously cover Villa mm. uh, at reach. So for me, he showed up as a player who just gets regular good shots away in good areas. Mm. Um, high XG chances. Accurate finisher. Very accurate finisher, yeah. Very clinical. Good conversion rate. Lots yeah. on target. Not as good with his back to goal, which we saw at Old Trafford. Mm. But Generally, a real box threat. Yeah. So, which is uh, coincidentally what Minutio sorry needed last season, yeah. and didn't have. So he's, he's a threat that we certainly have to cater for. But if we keep him out the box, he should probably. I mean, this sounds harsh, but he, sh- he should really be nullified if we keep him out the box and we we keep Chelsea away from keep it, from uh, creating clear cut chances for him. Yeah, I think it's a, it'd be a disservice to call him a poacher because I think he's actually a bit more than that. For me, but I mean, I use the term in the sense that he is literally most dangerous, isn't he? In and around, well, in the box, basically. But he's not the type of player that you'll see pick it up from thirty yards out and maybe hit one in the top corner. No, in my opinion, anyway, I can't think of many examples of him scoring many of those goals. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, I'll be honest, he, he's up for the tough one against. Against the likes of Van Dijk, it'll be interesting to see how he how he performs. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one to predict given Chelsea's variance, given Chelsea's results, and you know the variety of formations Lampard's used, the personnel changes, and things like that. But verdict, what do you think? Uh, I think Chelsea will play well actually against Liverpool. <laughs> um, David's a blue, don't forget. <laughs> Nearly got through a whole podcast there, mate. <laughs> Not a Chelsea blue, by the way. Um, no. So An unbiased blue. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's actually a fair, fair assessment, that. Yeah. Um, look, I think Liverpool still will win. I think it, they'll bounce back. I, I, as I said, there was, nothing that, there was nothing wrong with the performance midweek. The results just didn't go their way. So I expect them to come out on top in this one. I'm going to go 3-1. I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-1. Ooh, a little bit tighter. A little bit tighter, but I, and I wouldn't or if I'm being honest I wouldn't put it past Chelsea getting more than one as well. Just mm. with it being at home with them being such an intense crazy side at the minute whereby you can't really predict a lot of what's going on. 
these things can happen. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll call it a day there. Uh, Christian is having more time off. <laughs> he's always got time off. <laughs> Spoils. Now he's busier than anyone I know. Yeah, yeah no, that's <laughs> uh, fair, to be honest. So for the next two weeks at least, it will continue to be me and Dave mm. uh, running the Analyze and Anfield show. So we will be back next Thursday, I think, to record Sheffield United preview and possibly Red Bull Salzburg preview. So join us then, Dave. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks. Don't, don't tactically skip the next two episodes, by the way. <laughs> We're watching. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.